It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Straw Hut Media. From Straw Hut Media, this is Psychic Insights for the Modern World with James Van Brock. Hi, everyone. Welcome. This is James Van Prague, and welcome to Psychic Insights for the Modern World, this wonderful podcast which I've been sharing and it's just been so lovely doing it, bringing this information to the world. This is James Van Prague, your host and guide as we explore your inner voice and your inner abilities. The, this podcast, in a way, is your gateway into not just your mind, but your soul. For we are souls having a human experience, not the other way around. And as you go through life, from a soul's point of view, your life will definitely change. You know, we spend so often looking outside of ourselves instead of inside where the magic is, where you are. You are a soul. Live as a soul. So today we have a wonderful show for you because some people don't know who the heck I am. So I'm going to spend this podcast sharing my background. I've been a spiritual medium for 40 years. 40 years. I know a lot of my voice sounds young and I look young, but I'm old. So I've been there 40 years and I want to share with you really um, what it's like to be a spiritual medium and um, how I came out as a spiritual medium, I got to say, and what the... Really, the circumstances that led me here, it's an incredible story, I think. It's an incredible story. I've written 14 books. The first book, Talking to Heaven, was a New York Times bestseller for 26 weeks. And it really went into my background, my, my childhood. And I'm going to share that with you today and how I got to where I'm at uh, to be really a pioneer in the mediumship movement around the world and definitely in America. I've, um, I guess this was definitely my destiny, nothing that I thought I was going to do. I never thought I'd talk to dead people for a living. But I have, and I am, and I'm teaching, and here we are teaching. I'm going to share that with you. So stay with me. I have an exciting story to tell you. It's all true. And also joining me tonight, tonight, today, this space, is a good friend of mine, also a medium, spiritual medium who I met when I was actually doing a television pilot. We did together. And I walked into this room, we looked at each other, and I was like, I know you. I know you. You know when that happens when you recognize another soul? Like, I know you from somewhere. And his name is Michael Mayo, and he's also... Like I said, I'm a medium, an astrologer, and works psychically. Hello, Michael. Hello, James. And he's a great voice for podcasts, by the way. So we have, you have to do a podcast, Michael. I'll keep going. <laughs> okay. So, And Michael doesn't know my life story either, so I thought we'd share my life story. And Michael's been my friend for about a year now, I guess maybe close to a year. Yeah. Gave him all my books, and I actually have a miniseries from CBS, Ted Danson Stars Me, because... You know, he looks like me, but he really doesn't. Obviously. Yeah, Tom Selleck wasn't available. So, so um, I gave Michael this lovely film, and he hasn't seen it. So he doesn't know anything about me and uh, has not read anything about me. Which is really exciting for me, because now I get to discover it with exactly. all of you. Yeah, and Ryan really doesn't know. Ryan's our producer. He so it's a good story. It's, it's an inc- I think it's an incredible story, looking back at it. And it's, it's kind of Hollywood. It's like, did this really happen? It's, it's a typical kind of Hollywood story, but it demonstrates to everybody and I never want you to forget this, how the spirit world is a part of our everyday life and how there's bigger plans, bigger, bigger, bigger work to be done than we know. 
and that there are all the unseen forces that stand around us every day, helping us to achieve um, our destiny points and to learn and to grow and to heal and to help. So that is something I hope that these podcasts will also help you to explore that inner world. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the the uh, invisible ones, the un- unseen force that that works through us, that works through all of us. Same creative energy, but people use it in different ways. And I'm going to share with you in just a moment how I've chosen to use mine. Be right back. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And this is James M. Prog, your host for Psychic Insights for the Modern World. And I'm here with Michael Mayo, my friend and fellow medium. Hello, Michael. Hello, James. So you don't know my story, and I'm going to share with everybody because it's a pretty amazing story, I think. I don't know anything, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say. I'm, and I'm allowing you to sit here, too. <laughs> just, you don't even know my life story, and you're sitting here. But I'm and really... you're a friend of mine, which actually I, li- I prefer that. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. And I feel really honored to get to kind of do this ringside seat to your story. Um, Thank and, you. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the best place to start would be at the beginning. Um, did you have... Well, how long ago did you hear about me or knew of me? How long ago, would you say? How long have I known you? Known of, of, you. of me. Since I was a child. Since you were a child. Imagine. Yeah. Okay. yeah, because yeah. You, know, you were very much a pioneer uh, in mediumship. Here in America. In America, yes. And so I've seen you on TV, I've seen some of your shows, those yep. sorts of things, but I've never really known the full story. Oh, very interesting story. Of how you came to be where you are. So I'm very excited. So what, I guess we should start at the very beginning. Good place to start. And I think that, uh, do you have any kind of childhood experiences? I know a lot of mediums of the past talk about the many childhood experiences that happened to them. Uh, I do. I lot. It was actually my way of life, really, for me. I, I, I grew up and really I could see spirit around a lot of people, not all the time, mm-hmm. but I would know, also very psychic, which is different than mediumship, but I'd know when things would happen. I'd be aware of the colors around people, known as the aura, and I would see spirit, you know, certain times. I remember when I was a little boy, uh, I asked my mother for saying prayers because I was raised Catholic, very Catholic. And I remember saying our evening prayers, and I looked at the end of the bed, and all these beings were there with lights on them. And I asked my mother about the, the angels. Who were those people at the end of the bed with lights on? Them? And she said, oh, those people? Those are God's angels. You can see them? I saw them too when I was a little girl. Oh, wow. You have nothing to fear. They're always here to help you. So that was my introduction, I guess you would say. Wow. Yeah. If that's the beginning, I know it's only going to get better. <laughs> it's it's pretty, uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, it's a pretty wild life story. I mean, it's just, yeah. Um, I was raised in um, New York City, Queens, New York. And I was, geez, let's see, I was uh, the youngest of four children uh, in Bayside, Queens. And I was raised Irish Catholic. Mother was Catholic, father was Protestant, but she really went to Mass every day. And there was a whole thing. We had a, we were raised Catholic. Went to a Catholic school. 
parochial school with the nuns, the nuns that were the black habits and yes. looked like Darth Vader. Absolutely. So when you imagine a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid, and look at that, it's like, oh my goodness. Now when I look back, it's like, wow. And in those days, that was when the Catholic nuns were very strict, like hitting you with a ruler and... Yes, yeah, so that's a whole other story, folks. Wow. But I do remember the first grade, I had a teacher named Mrs. Weinlich at Sacred Heart School, and she was fabulous, nice lady. Of course, um, for those who don't know me, I'm very, I'm pretty short. I'm five foot five, all right, five four, maybe five five. I'm shrinking as I get older. But so I was the, and, and when they set you down in the classrooms, you went by your alphabet name. My van prog was V, so I was at the very end, in the back, and short. Yeah. So. I was, it was during those, it's really interesting as a medium looking back at it, because as a lot of you may remember grade school, most of the time you daydreamed. And when you daydream, you put yourself into that other level of consciousness. And I remember very clearly that it was, it was probably around 10 in the morning. I'm not a morning person, I'm a night person. And probably 10 in the morning, I was trying to doze off a little bit, but I was paying attention to what was going on. And I remember I saw very clearly a young man come through the window of this first grade school first grade classroom, came over to my desk, and like I'm seeing someone physically right now, Mike, like I'm looking at you right now, yeah. physical body, yeah. right? And he said something to me, uh, telepathically, I guess you would say, and he said, here, and he showed me this geometric shape. And I said, what is that? It's design. And he said, you won't understand it now, but later you will. And his name was Andy. And I, I, it was kind of like I knew I knew him somehow, somewhere. Mm-hmm. This is when I'm six years old. Yeah. Right? So he laughed. I was like, okay, fine. So his name was Andy. And it, I, I just yeah. want to get a little clarity on this. So you've ne- you never saw him before, and he looked just like you're looking at me. Yes. Now, the weird thing is, I, as he came to that window, I, I recognized him. I guess you could say my soul recognized him. Yeah. And I recognized that I knew him at a time around the Civil War. Isn't that weird? Okay. And it was more like I knowingness that we all have with certain people we meet. We're like, I, I know this person. This so is a past life connection. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a part of my soul group. Right. You know, our soul group just doesn't have to be here on the earth. They're also in the spirit world. Have you seen him since? N- no. Okay. Not since. So that was sort of one of those important moments where you're now looking back recognizing that was spirit did you know then it was spirit as oh well? yeah yeah okay. well you know we didn't you know in those days i didn't call it that my mother said just angels i just was very aware of the invisible world to me it was very visible and again not all the time but i used to be in a church all the time I used to go to mass and every sunday mass in the choir loft and on the actual altar i would see spirit work with the priests Wow. And they were like God's angels. They were people in white robes. And it was like, and I didn't really go for the religious part of it. I love the ceremonial part of it, I love the singing. Yeah. I love the sounds. I love the beauty of it. But I didn't necessarily believe in the, 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 the dogma. Right. I couldn't understand. I remember as a little boy, I knew inside me, this doesn't fit. This isn't right. They're trying to make God into something that it's not. And it didn't work for me. The only thing that worked for me really were the, uh, the music. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the ritual, I love that, and I think that's also from past life experiences. Yeah. So, uh, what else? What oh, I have a great first grade. I had a great one. Did you? A, yeah, one of my first experiences I wrote about in my first book, Talking to Heaven, which you'll read one day. Um, <laughs> just gave it to him, but that's okay. <laughs> so this is very interesting. I remember I went up to my first grade teacher and I said to her one day, um, "Mrs. Weinlich, your son is fine. He just." He, he said, it's fine. He was hit by a car. And he said, what? Go back to your seat. And I thought, well, I'm just telling you what I'm seeing. 
I knew. So I you did, saw I, it. I had a knowingness. Okay. I, well, it was more of a knowingness. I had sure. a knowingness. And I knew I had to tell her. Five minutes later, the principal came in, who was a nun, pulled her out of the class. I was back in my seat. And then a couple of minutes later, she came back into the room. And she said, Mrs. Weinlich, and she said, James, come here. And then, of course, I was but very short, so you can imagine. Um, she said, how did you know that? I said, what? My son, how did you know by a car? He was, he was playing soccer. And the ball went into the street, and it was hit by a car. But he's okay, he just broke his leg. And I started crying. Because I thought, because I had that thought, I created that to right. occur. Yeah. And that I was responsible. Wow. And she was, you know, nowadays when I look back at that, obviously it was spirit that guided that. Because she knelt down and she said, James, that's an ability. That's a, she used a gift, or however you explain to a six-year-old, that's a gift, and maybe one day you'll use it to help people. Wow. And that, to this day, of course, was I definitely think a destiny point, because if I had a nun, I'm sure the circumstances would have been quite different, and uh, that really was instrumental, of course. When I look back. That's actually really beautiful. As you said that, I got chills just, yeah. just hearing it. That's like one of those little life direction, like that bing. And spirits in our life every day, and so if we recognize that, it's, it's so great. So, anything else happened in grade school? You know, I, I know that I would see things uh, as far as if kids are having fights, I'd see spirit behind and trying to help them. Nothing really, I'd say, that spectacular. We right. can look at it that way. Now, I knew I had to, in the 60s, to go to a Catholic high school was a big deal. Mm-hmm. My mother was very, very Catholic. And uh, none of my other siblings went to a Catholic school, and I thought... I'm going to go to a Catholic school. Looking back at it, of course, as kids, we want to please our parents. Yeah. So I did it, of course, to receive her love, I'm sure. Yeah. So there was a, a gentleman that came, who was a brother of a, a seminary, a pre-seminary, which is before you go into the seminary, there's, it's a high school seminary. Okay. So it's pre-seminary. 14 years of age, and it was in Hyde Park, New York, right next to the um, Roosevelt Estate. And it was a Vanderbilt mansion. And it was quite amazing because you go there for two weeks, 14 years of age, with a bunch of seminary kids, strangers in a dormitory, and there you are. And you go to Mass twice a day, you learn French, you learn Latin, and so forth. You benediction, you have Mass. So it sounds like intense. For a 14-year-old kid, it was intense. Yeah. And I was uh, bullied the first night. First night, my oh. bed was a mop. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And these oh kids God. are making fun of me. Now, for everybody that's out there who get bullied as their kids, I think, and this is my theory, mm-hmm. I think it's because of the sensitivity. I think on some level they're aware of some kind of sensitivity. Maybe they can't put a word to that. Yeah. But they this uh, they feel threatened or something. Right. Yeah. Because they're kind of known... outside of that, you know, societal norm of what boys should be like. That's right. That's right. On that level. As a matter of fact, we have an episode coming up about highly sensitive people. It's oh, very great. important. Yeah. Because so many people out there need to know how to handle the sensitivity and when it comes with it. Awesome. Yeah. And then I went. To, uh, I, I was uh, there for a, a year. It was a really weird thing for a fourteen-year-old boy to go on the train from upstate New York or Hyde Park, New York, down to Queens and Grand Central Station. It was a very weird thing for a fourteen-year-old. Looking back at it, but I want to make sure my mom was proud. So at the end of the year, uh, it was Easter time, mm-hmm. and all the students had to go into. I guess we'd call it a benediction, a meditation, to a side altar because in the Catholic tradition they strip the altar on Good Friday. And the students then had to go one at a time into this little chapel of the side and meditate, pray for about half hour, I guess it was. Okay. And I'll never forget this. Another pivotal moment. I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I hear very clearly, clairaudiently, I heard a male voice say to me, it was, it was the clairknowing, clair, and, and mm-hmm. the audience, yeah. 
and said to me, you can't find God here. You have to find God. out. God lives outside these four walls. You have to leave and find God outside these four walls. Wow. And I never got out so quick enough. I mean, I couldn't wait to. Once I heard that, it was a freeing because yeah. I did feel like I was being choked because I was in a, a situation and a scenario and a belief system that I didn't really take get. I didn't yeah. get it. I didn't understand it. Yeah. Again, I like the ritual, but the religious part, I didn't understand yeah. that. Yeah. Especially for me, personally, Jesus on a cross, and they show this person with nails and like, right. execution. Like, what, not... let's show an electric chair. I mean, what, what is that, what is that yeah, about? You know, exactly. so, anyway, I didn't get it. So, as a kid, that was, a, that was high school, and then there we are at high school, then I went to New York Public High School, and I had the best time of my life. <laughs> No more psychic stuff happened because I was going through puberty, so the things were probably happening. I don't know. But it didn't really have any experiences then, really. Yeah. Yeah. I I know that you mentioned that you felt there was something to do with pleasing your mother, but do you think also there was that part of you as well that maybe was a spiritual calling to go to this Catholic Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I remember, this is really interesting, I remember if I'm going back here, when I was three years old, well, I gotta go back even further. When I, was, when I was, gosh, eighteen months, maybe to two years, I was in my crib. Sorry, I'm going back, but it was so incredible. Um, my, I was in the crib. My parents were in the living room. I heard them, and I wanted to be with them. And I would cry because I wanted to be with them. I remember this very, very clearly. And what happened was there was a man, a spirit, in the corner of the room. And I knew this man. He had beautiful blue eyes and white wavy hair. And he'd come every night and give me like a, I could say it's like a mobile, a mobile, like a one of those little things, yeah. that, like a toy. And it fascinated me. Years later, I'm sitting with my grandmother, and she's going through a photograph album, and I come across this photo, and I said, "Who's that man?" She said, "Oh, that's your grandfather. He died before you were born." Wow. So he used to come to visit me as a baby, as a child. I remember that. And. I, when I got into this uh, psychic field, the mediumship, it was during readings once. The only time he came clairaudiently through to me and he said, I'm very proud of you. And I know I know him. Yeah. I, I knew that. So that was, that was another interesting one. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, the regular public school. And then I wanted to be in public school. I had this idea of wanting to write. So, and I've always been very theatrical. If you know, you know, you're my friend, you know, I'm very theatrical. Yes. So I thought maybe be acting or writing or something, acting or writing. And um, we'll talk about that when we get back, when next uh, next part of the podcast, because it's really fascinating from here on. Put your seatbelts on, folks, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Be right back. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everybody, for my exciting life. It gets better, Michael. So far, you enjoying the childhood, my high school experiences? And Absolutely. And and you, you left the last segment with uh, being rather theatrical. And as you may or may not know, I also have a degree I, in I theater. Can, I can tell that <laughs> immediately with friends. Yeah. And, and so I'm really curious, like, what did you want to do with that? I thought I was going to be an actor. Okay. So the f- interesting thing is, here we go again. Okay, you ready? Here we go. So my grandfather uh, was from London. 
and there were three brothers in the family. The two brothers went to the diamond business and went to, in the family business was a diamond business, mining diamonds in South Africa. Wow. And they went that route and became very wealthy. Not my grandfather. He was a black sheep of the family, and he joined the circus. So he joined the circus, Buffalo Bill and Annie Oakley, setting up tents. And he did that through Canada and eventually led to New York City, where he helped build the Winter Garden Theater on Broadway. Wow. And worked on Broadway. And then my father also was a stagehand on Broadway. And I, as a little boy, used to go to Broadway with my father. He used to bring me backstage. And he used to sit at the, we call it the rail, where they have their ropes for the scenery. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget Lloyd Bridges and Lauren Bacall were in Cactus Flower. And um, after high school, I wanted to go to do, uh, I went to several colleges. One was Hunter College in New York. And it was really, I, just, I was going to be, well, I was trying to be an actor. Mm-hmm. So I would go in a day and audition. I go in the morning at ten o'clock. These general cattle call. Yes, because I, I knew that. inside me there was something I had to express. I knew I'd be working with people. I knew I'd be before the public. Let's put it yeah. that way. I knew I'd be before the public. I didn't know how. Yeah, and I also I'm a singer, so yeah. I, I thought it'd be that. So I, I would really be at nine o'clock in the morning, ten o'clock to say, okay, come back at three in the afternoon. So I would literally spend the time walking the streets of Manhattan when I was eighteen, nineteen years old. And learning the streets of Manhattan and just daydreaming, really, about my future. Being, I thought it would be a well-known producer or an actor or something. I, was, I, I remember thinking or daydreaming of people in the audiences. And, of course, now there it is. It's sort of like the, the spirit world in these different pivotal moments in your life is sort of setting you up for exactly what you ended up doing. Exactly. Because, right. I, because of the theatrical background, I can be before audiences, yeah. so it helps with my work. Absolutely. So I, I, what happened was I eventually worked as a stagehand. My father gave me a job there. Because he'd hired people there for the stage, just pulling the ropes, really, for the scenes. So, I really, I worked on the show Grease, the original show Grease. On Broadway. On Broadway. With oh. Richard Gere was in it. Barry Bostrick was in it. Mary Lou Henna was in it. A lot of people. John Travolta. Yeah. You know, a lot of people. So, I used to sit by the rail, they called the rail, and watch a ship performance. And I would just sing with it. And I must have seen, oh, gosh, about 500 or so, <laughs> 600 performances of Grease. I yeah. Mean. And then when the movie came out with Olivia and john and then we had big parties. And I'll never forget that it was a great time in my life. And I always just stayed backstage, said hello to some of the people and whatever. I didn't see the psychic, anything, nothing like that happened. Mm-hmm. But... I was watching these performances, and I knew that I could be out on that stage. Uh, my life should be out on the stage. I, I could do something with just be a stagehand. Right. So I, wow. I, I, I thought what I would do is get a degree in broadcasting. Okay, so now you're going to move <laughs> that direction. So no matter what, you know you're going to be in front of people. I knew broadcasting somehow, whatever it was. Okay. So what I did was I researched different schools, and uh, the money that I, went, uh, that I got from uh, the stagehand work paid for my college. So what happened was I decided to go to San Francisco State because it was a California school that after a year of residency, you go free. Okay. So I did that. I went out there and uh, San Francisco and I had uh, two years there. I had to finish up two years. And it was during my last year there that we had what we call a broadcasting conference where they would have former alumni come to San Francisco mm-hmm. State, and I think they still do, okay. in the broadcasting department, who have made it, like certain writers and producers. And I met... Um, several people and one person that was Anthony Yurkovich who was the executive producer for Hill Street Blues at the time that was a big show okay. from Mary Tyler Moore Productions yeah and I was really in charge of driving him around from his hotel to the school and so forth 
And I asked him one day, I said, listen, I'm graduating in June. Is there any way I could come down and work on that show with you and be a production assistant? And he said, sure, come on down. Make sure you're there by July 7th at MTM, and we'll have you on the show. I thought, oh, wow. That's exciting. How weird is that? That is. Right? I mean, yeah. just, there it is in my lap. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm going to LA. I have a job. Mm-hmm. When does that happen? Mm-hmm. How often does that happen, people? Right? It doesn't. <laughs> it, do- it doesn't, right? It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So I went back to New York. And um, by the way, during college, when I was in San Francisco State, I was a waiter. So I worked at a Pizza Hut place and all over the place. It was interesting. Loving to meet people. Um, went back to New York and I think I had $3,000 saved. Mm-hmm. I bought an, an Audi Fox, an old rental, you know, old used car. And um, the day before I left, my mother had a stroke oh, and wow. she was in the hospital. She couldn't speak. And I thought, wow, I have to leave now or not. Mm-hmm. Here's a destiny point. Right. What am I going to do? And I knew, and it was a really hard one. It was a really hard test. You know, we have tests every day in our lives. Mm-hmm. This was a big test. Do I stay with my mother who was ill or do I move on and follow my dream that was presented? And I knew my mother would want me to follow my dream. Right. So I packed up the car and I drove cross country and went to first San Francisco to get some things and down to LA and made sure I was there by July 7th. Wow. Well, what's really interesting to, to hear about this because... So you had your time period where your childhood, you're having these sort of psychic experiences, Mm -hmm. these mediumistic sort of experiences. And then there's this sort of like getting your normal life section, which is that creative part, I guess. Yeah. And it's so it's like you're, it's almost like you needed the other training in a different part of your life so that you could be made exactly for what you're here to do. Yes, when you look back, when you look back, the how things are. I mean, you can look back and say, "Wow, the spirit world was so involved in my life." Yeah, absolutely. And every one of our lives, yeah. we really, we, we we really are being guided the whole yeah. time. Not the way, you know, things never work out the way you think it's going to. Right. It works out the way it's needed to happen for yeah. your soul. So I went there to L.A. I was in L.A. Didn't know anybody. No one. No, knew no one. Didn't even know the city. And I called up MTM, Mary Tellemore Productions. And I told them what Anthony Yurkovich told me. And they said, well, um, he got it wrong. We can't hire you. We don't hire people that way. I said, can I leave a message for him? Yes. And he never returned the call. Oh, my God. So there I was stuck in a foreign city with a car that was barely running now because I run cross country. Not knowing anyone, not having money, not having a job. My mother is sick back in New York. What do I do? What did you do? And, and, and the weird thing was, yeah. there I was on, I forget, in Hollywood, whatever that street is, um, Beechers perhaps. And there, I, at one point I looked up and there was a Hollywood sign. And I thought, is this a, is this a cosmic joke? Like, I, here I am. I'm, <laughs> it's like a movie. It's like a really bad B movie. Here I am, promised a job in Hollywood. My mom is gravely ill, moved everything to a city. I don't know. And I'm stuck here. So what did you do? That's a good question you asked me. What do I do? <laughs> so you imagine a 20, what, four, something like that, 23. I was scared. I was very scared. And I really was. I don't know, what am I doing here? Why was I promised this job, given this job, came all the way out here? Why would this happen? I just said, why would this happen? Is this yeah. part of the plan? So I started temporary jobs. And I went and bought the newspapers, the, the um, Variety. And I wanted to work in a production company, at least, get myself close to the creative part, television, yeah. writing, something. So I literally worked through a temporary agency who specialized in entertainment gigs, and I did that. But I've also worked in 
advertising, law firms, hospitals. I was at a hospital for four years in human resources. And I would tell the, the director there, I said, you should hire this person. Don't hire that person. They're good. The other one's not. This is before the psychic thing happened. Yeah. But I was actually doing psychic information readings before I knew that I was going to be doing yeah. any of that, right? So I, I, I really made the most out of the moments, uh, the moments of temporary jobs. And I ended up, believe it or not, after about 20, I don't know, 25 jobs, different jobs, temporary mm-hmm. jobs. I ended up, well, I was at a production company called Freeze Entertainment. It was very it's weird again. It was CBS in Studio City, California, right? This is important for later. Right. I got a job as a, what's called a runner. And in those days, you used to have what's called the Thomas Guide map. And the Thomas Guide map, now we have GPS. You had to look <laughs> and see what page you were going to. And I used to go from Studio City to Century City, which for those who don't know, it's over this big hill, big, big yeah. hill, a lot of traffic. Yep. And I do that all day, about five, six times a day. And I thought, okay, delivering the scripts, wow. legal documents. Ended up eventually at William Morris Agency. And William Morris Agency is an entertainment agency. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll go here. Maybe this is going to get me my agent. Maybe I'll find an agent who does who will get me in the sitcom world. That's what maybe this is about. And again, nothing spiritual. Didn't think that way. Never thought about that. But I took a job, not in the mailroom, but in the basement, even below the mailroom at William Morris. Okay, <laughs> Started as a temporary gig, and they took me full-time because they loved how I worked. And my job really was... Pulling, pulling staples out of contracts for eight hours no. a day, preparing them for what's called microfiche. You know, if you, you know microfiche? No. Of course you wouldn't know microfiche. You're young. So I'd prepare these, uh, taking these staples out of these contracts eight hours a day for, wow. for, for microfilm. And what they wanted to do, the accounting office they get it was, it was they wanted to get all of the papers off or get rid of the papers yeah. before recycling days. And, and they want to have a record of us. They had put them on the microfilm. So... I thought maybe I'm going to be here because I'll meet the agent. And I remember I was um, looking at contract Lucille Ball and the Groucho Marx oh, and wow. Jack Benny and Bing Crosby and all, all these famous people that are autographs. And I thought, this is kind of cool. This is kind of cool. And it was tedious, but I made the best of it. One thing, a gift that I have, which I still have, I always make the best of each situation, each yeah. moment. I always find the best in it or have fun. I can laugh at myself. Yeah. And you can too. That's what we're friends. You can laugh at yourself. I, I make a job out of it. The <laughs> secret of life is to laugh. You yeah. have to laugh. You have to find the joy in the journey. You have to. So it was there that I, uh, Carol Shoemaker was my supervisor. And she used to come downstairs to the basement. And she one day she came, she came down and she said, do you want to go see a medium with me? Uh-huh. I said, what is a medium? She said, he's someone who talks to dead people. I said, I don't believe in that. I don't know what that is. I don't really wow. know. Wow. So she said, well, would you go? I said, all right, sure. What the heck, I'll go. I was, it's LA, you know. Okay, I'll go. I thought I'd go to Yuma or her. So we went down to Manhattan Beach uh, in California and walked into this man's apartment named Brian Hurst. And as soon as he walked in, he looked at me and he goes, hello, you're a medium. He's a British man, you're a medium. <laughs> I said, I'm a medium. I, I just want to be a sitcom writer. He goes, no, 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 you're a medium. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm hearing from the spirit world. And they say that in two years' time, you're going to be used. They're going to help you to change the consciousness of the planet. Wow. I said, what? They're going to help you to change the consciousness of the planet. I said, I just want to be a sitcom writer. I don't want to change the consciousness of the planet. 
And he went on to give an incredible reading messages from relatives that had passed. Even a, a man by the name of James. I know I had a James over there. It was a great uncle of mine. Wow. And things that I didn't know I had to ask my family. And it all was uh, incredible evidence. So, James, were you accepting of what Brian Hurst had to say in his message? Well, it was it was very strange because, I mean, I heard, you know, I'm a cynical New Yorker. So, I heard, oh, you went to California, the land of fruit and nuts. And <laughs> I found this guy and he's fruit and nut. And I could just tell us yep. that's crazy. But the information was so incredible. And yeah. he was accurate with his details. Amazing. How did he do that? How did he do that? And, and so, that made you think, okay, well, if that part's true, maybe this other part's true? Or how did that go? What, what it did was it opened the door. Okay. It opened the door of my curiosity. Okay. So what I did was every Saturday, I went to what's called the Bodhi Tree Bookstore. The Bodhi Tree Bookstore. I know the Bodhi Tree. You know the Bodhi Tree. I don't think is it there now. I don't think it's no, there. No, no, no. Sold it. I almost yeah. bought it actually with them. Really? Me and Brandon almost bought it together. Oh my god. Our friends. So I went there every Saturday, and the Bodhi Tree in Los Angeles was the bookstore for New Age. Right. Everything UFOs. Classic. Classic. Yeah. Classic. And these two guys owned it, of course, and it was it was great. So that was in my library. I was like a sponge. And I read every single book I could find sitting there at the store. They let you do that in those days. Yeah. And I read everything out of body experiences and meditation, astral projection, reincarnation, med- mediumship, psychic phenomena. And what I did, I found through all those books, there was a common theme. And the theme was meditation. Mm-hmm. If you want to find out your soul's journey, you know, what you're supposed to do in your lifetime, destiny points, so forth, you should learn to meditate, to go inside yourself. Mm-hmm. Here you go. So go in. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to do that. So I started a regular, really, uh, uh, once a week, on a regular basis, um, to sit, to sit and meditate. And I didn't know about meditation. I didn't know formally what meditation was. I knew it involved breathing. Right? <laughs> and really what I want to do is I want to visualize. So I, I, I really chose this rose, a red rose, and I, I would breathe in love and exhale fear, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I actually still use in, in a lot of my meditations. And what I would do is visualize the future of what I wanted. I saw myself as a producer. I saw myself um, talking to a lot of people. I saw myself um, writing, but I didn't know what I was writing. I was on a, like a computer. Yeah, I didn't know what it was, but I, I visualized that. I felt really great after meditation. Then something weird started happening. Oh my gosh, what happened? Well, here you go. <laughs> Put on your seatbelts. Okay. <laughs> so it was probably about, I don't know, maybe two months after meditation. And I found within, the, you know, first starting meditation, you have the monkey mind. We have those yeah. thoughts, that crazy thoughts. And I found out if I didn't attach anything to that, that thought would go to my mental mind, I'd, I'd experience it and let it go. Then I'd be fine. And then within 15, 20 minutes, I, I, I was in this deep, like, trance state. I'd wake up and feel fantastic yeah and of course that's what meditation is right so i remember it was probably yeah two months to the meditation i started seeing colors and lights around people like i did as a child i started i was open opening up so the meditation was reawakening what was already there for you it opened the door, reawakened it. It, okay. it lifted the curtain, wow. if you will, the veil. Yeah. So I could see the colors around people. I knew the auric field. Again, just like as a child, the psyche information would come through. I'd know things about people. And it wasn't something that I was bombarded with. It was a knowingness. It was yeah. a natural, natural. Did it shock you? Did it surprise you when it surprised, this It surprised me, but uh, it surprised me to a point, but not really, in that I discovered, I guess you could say it was a discovery yeah. of an aspect of myself, which I go, oh, this is interesting. And you'd been reading about it, too. Too, right? And I've been reading about it, yeah, so I had okay. that exactly right, yeah. Michael. I had that, that background. At least I had some knowledge yeah. about what this was. Yeah. So then I was and working at temporary jobs uh, during this time. And I remember I was working at Paramount Studios. 
and the contract department again. Now here I'm from the basement, and I just now I'm now in the legal department, <laughs> and I prepared contracts for okay. syndication shows at Paramount Studios in the May West building. Wow. And this all goes back. So I'm, I'm saying this because later on in the end of the story, you'll see what comes back. So I remember it was one day uh, after lunch, about one o'clock in the afternoon, and my uh, coworker, Joe, her name was Joe Dallas. She was in the cubicle next to mine. And as she came back to lunch, I looked over and there was a dead lady standing behind her. Uh-huh. And I knew it was her grandmother. And the lady looked right at me, just like in the sixth sense, they look at you. Boom, these, yeah. These beamy eyes. Mm-hmm. And, I'm like, oh, and it, it startled me. And she knew that I could see her. And she said to me telepathically, you need to tell my granddaughter I'm alive. I'm in heaven. Tell about the house in Idaho. Tell about the needlepoint. So I said, uh, uh, okay, okay. So I, I, I leaned over the cubicle and said, uh, Joe? And, and I knew she was kind of cool because she's some astrology, yeah. but it, so I knew she'd eh, be okay with the question. I said, um, your grandmother, I, I saw this lady behind you, and I think it's your grandmother. And, and she said, it's a house in Idaho and yellow house with white shutters. And she goes, yes. And, and she's in heaven, and she talked about Needlepoint. And Joe said, yes, I used to visit her in her house every summer. It was Yellow House White Shutters. Wow. And she promised me that when she went to heaven, she'd come back and let me know she was okay. Aww. And the last thing we did together was she taught me needlepoint, and we made a footstool cover together. Oh, that's beautiful. So it all made sense. Every yeah. single detail came through. She understood. And then I freaked out. <laughs> I yeah, freaked I, out. I would, uh, I mean... Th- it was right. I mean, now this thing was real, and it's something that you're actually seeing and experiencing, and you know, feeling it, seeing it. What gave you even the courage to actually do that? Like that's a that's a big step from oh, no, I'm no, seeing no, colors no, 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 to no, no, now no. I'm, I'm gonna... freaking out. So I ran. <laughs> I, I freaked. I left. I left. I left yeah. Paramount. I ran out of Paramount Studios, which I'm sure a lot of people have done before. I ran out of the front gate. I never forget. And I lived at a street not too far away, Banner Avenue, which is like Hollywood and Vine area, and. um Oh, it was really weird. So what happened was I ran around my apartment not knowing what to do because, listen, I worked really hard to get this apartment. It was a nice apartment. I mean, it's, you know, one bedroom apartment. I mean, that was a big deal. And I, I didn't know what to do because I was a freak. I was a freak. In those days, and you couldn't really speak about. That's right. You couldn't, and you, people think you're crazy. Absolutely. And it was just, who am I going to ask? Who am I going to tell about this thing? So I didn't know who to call. I, I couldn't call anybody. They'd think it'd be nuts. They'd lock me up. So I knew there'd be one person I could call, and it was that medium. So I called Brian Hurst up, mm-hmm. and I was, I was crying, I was freaking out, I said, Brian, Brian, this is James O'Brien. Yes, hello, James. I said, Brian, Brian, I just saw this lady who was dead, and, and her granddaughter understood everything that I had to say, and I don't know what to do. He says, very calmly, James, don't you remember the prediction of the spirit world, that you'll come back to change the consciousness of the planet? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, James, that was two years ago today. And that was when my life changed. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, 
Are wow. you still freaking I, out? I think that, you know, I can speak for everyone when we all kind of had that gasp moment. Yeah. To the day. That's to incredible. The day. That's the day. absolutely amazing. And so then what what happened? Well, in my life had changed. I'd never go back. So it really was Brian Hurst. God bless him. Um, he lives in Palm Springs. Now he's retired. He helped me. He took me under his tutelage. And I sat with him every Tuesday night. Oh, so you began your development. I then. began my development. Properly. Properly. Yeah. And I worked with him for seven years. I said every Tuesday night for an hour, every Tuesday night for seven years. And what did what did what did you do? And sitting in the, it's called a development circle, and where you sit in that circle, you become aware of the nuances mm-hmm. of the energetic fields around yourself and other people, and you become aware of the spirit people that are working with you, your guides, your teachers, and you be, really become more aware of your soul evolving, expanding, yeah. seeing yourself as a soul from the inside out. You're you're really literally turning yourself from the inside out, yeah. I guess you could yeah. describe it, huh? Yeah. And I did that and um, for many years and, and it changes you when you sit in development circle. I tell uh, my yeah, students absolutely. in the development as you do too, yeah. that's the most important thing you can do. It's become aware. And that's the best way to become aware of your soul. Mm-hmm. Sitting in the stillness of your being, as I say. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I did that and uh, and then I started doing I, I had a test of faith. Do I continue doing a parent work or a nine to five job or do spirits work and help with messages? Because at that point, probably after two or three years, I was able to give some decent messages, really good messages. And I did that. I, I, it was a big test of faith because I was getting paid very well at Paramount, a management yeah. job, getting uh, insurance and so forth. Do I do that or do I do a job mediumship, which I didn't know anything about? Didn't right. really know how I was gonna, my name was going to get out there, how I was going to pay the rent, how I was going to do groceries, car payment. And it was a test. It was the universe was testing me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that power of love that was given to people at a reading, a message that I was able to give, that feeling that I had, there was nothing better in this earth. Nothing. That divine spark. Once you're in touch with that, you can't go back. That's worth everything. And if I could help people that way, my life will have meaning and it'll have meaning for all those people. So I did that. I, I, I did that. And I started doing readings for people. Uh, so you left... Paramount. Left Paramount, left, okay. left that. And uh, really interesting, then I started um, doing two readings a day, 11 o'clock in the morning and 7 o'clock at night, and uh, an hour each. And it was word of mouth, and within, God, I was booked up two to three months, four months, within, I don't know, within a month I was booked up several months, and then a year ahead. Wow. And then eventually a TV producer came in from Unsolved Mysteries, Annie Azaridi. And um, I did that show. And then uh, the Joan Rivers show, the first Joan Rivers show. Joan Rivers show. show. Her, her very first show, before after the night show, she went to yeah, Fox. That uh-huh. was the whole thing with that. And I was a guest, and Edgar came through. Her husband who committed suicide came through and uh, told her that she would do a movie about her life and uh, with her daughter, and it happened years later. But that was my first exposure to national television. Okay. And then right after that, um, there's a show called The Other Side on NBC. Yeah. You probably know I remember that, that, remember one. that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. In the early 90s. And I was their favorite guest. They used me for the pilot episode. Yeah. And I was on there all the time as a medium. And it really introduced the world, or America at first, to the world of mediumship. Yeah. And it was pretty incredible. The amount of mail that I received... I mean, I have photographs of me in my living room with tons of mail, and it was all different. And I, I you know, I, I started doing that. And um, well, it's it's interesting right there that that point to make because you know, being in this world, also, I feel that you really—that's something I think people don't realize. They don't. You know. really pioneered in the United States that taking it from the sort of back alley sort of psychic hand that's shop. Right. And you took it into that's people's right. homes. That's right. You took it out into the world. And so that's the part that's really quite incredible to me uh, that 
I mean, you had to spearhead that and all of the things that that must have come along with that. Exactly right. I agree with you. And I accept that finally. It took me a while to accept that's true. I started here in America in this time. And uh, after a while, I was told by a good friend, Peter Redgrove, who's a very good friend of mine, Pisces like yourself. Mm -hmm. He said, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. He had a great reading with me. His reading was so amazing. A nun came through. And apologized to him. And she said, I wasn't able to move on. I'm so sorry I hurt you when you were a young boy. And and then a Michael came through. Some name, yeah, your name. Yeah. Michael came through. He didn't know the name. And Michael, I'm your brother. So Peter, British man, he went home and called, to, uh, called up his sister back in the UK. And he knew the nun was. The nun was, he was in an orphanage, a young boy. Okay. Run by nuns. And his nun used to beat him. Wow. And... He had a brother named Michael, but it was out of wedlock, so that the family didn't talk about it. So he oh, didn't know about it, but the sister knew. That's great evidence. So he said to me after many years, oh, seven, two, three years, he goes, you should write a book about these experiences to help people. You need to write a book to help a lot of people. People need to know this work. Yeah. And I was very hesitant because I'm a discipline and oh my, in 20 years, 20 year old, you know, 20 something year old person writing a book or whatever it was. And so... Um, I decided, yes, I want to write the book, Talking to Heaven. So I wrote I wrote the book. Wait, so how old were you when you wrote that? How old was I? I was in my late 20s. Okay, gotcha. 1997, yeah. So that's, then I have a quick, a quick story about that, too, sure. which is kind of interesting. So I had the book re- written, uh, the, the pages, and now I had to sell it, which is a hard part, <laughs> yeah. right? So Can't imagine how I, you go I, from that. I got an agent somehow at some kind of an expo, new new age expo in those days, and uh, and again I was a freak. You realize I was the only one around that was doing this sort of yeah. thing. So um, I got these uh, an agent, and she got me interviews at a Dutton Penguin in New York and Simon Schuster and and all these different uh, publishers, top publishers. I'll never forget this story. This is kind of a weird one too. Here we go. One of my clients at the time was Audrey Meadows. Now, Audrey Meadows was on the show called The Honeymooners, and she uh-huh, played Alice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was a regular client of mine for years. And I remember that once Jackie came through and her husband um, came through, Bob, Bob Six, his name was, and he owned Continental Airlines, you know that. And he came through once and he said, Audrey, you need to stop the smoking, otherwise you'll have lung cancer. And then time progressed, and I hadn't seen her for about a year. And um, a friend of mine called me one afternoon and said, you know, Audrey Meadows is in the hospital, Cedar Sinai in Los Angeles. She has lung cancer. I said, no. I was freaked out. Yeah. Right? Here we go again, being freaked out. And what I did was I ran over to Cedar Sinai Hospital, and I went up to the clerk. I was kind of in this daze, again, in an altered state of consciousness. Yeah. And I went, I want to see OG6, not realizing because she's a celebrity, and they wouldn't let you know that. Yeah. And she said, oh, we don't have anybody with that name here. I said, hmm. And as if in trance, Michael, I got to tell you, I crossed the street, I went to the other building, and I thought to myself, celebrities are probably on the high floor. So I pushed number six. I got out of the elevator. I walked to the right then to the left, all the way down the corridor. And I was stopped at the nurse's station. And the nurse said, can I help you? I said, I'm looking for Audrey Six. And she said, well, what's wrong with her? I said, well, she has cancer. And she said, well, that's downstairs on the fifth floor. I said, okay. I turned to go away. And she said, wait a minute. That's such a strange name. Let me see. And she looked at her and she goes, oh, 6101. She's right here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I walked into the room. There was a, a, a member, she had a private nurse, a member, this Filipino nurse she had. And she said, who are you? I, and I promised Audrey I'd be there if something happened to her. I said, I'm her spiritual counselor. She said, what? I said, I'm her spiritual counselor. Can you give me five minutes? Only five minutes. She left the room. Now, when Audrey was there, she was in bed. She was in a coma. Okay. And she was looking down, kind of. I went to her uh, ear on her, on her right side. And I said, it's okay to go. Bob would be there, Jackie's there, all of her friends there, mother, father. I said, this is James, this is James. It's okay to go. You can go. Yeah. Yeah, we're with you. We love you. Thank you for everything you did here. 
I'm crying, and then I left. And before I left the room, I turned and looked at her, and she was looking up, not down anymore. So she obviously heard me, which yeah. they can. They can hear you. Yeah. And I left, okay? And that night, I took the red eye to New York to sell my book, okay? Mm-hmm. So I landed in uh, JFK at 6 a.m., and it was snowing. It was February, and it was snowing, snowing, and it was freezing. And I got into the taxi cab, and there was the WINS News, the radio station there. And the first thing I heard was, Honeymooner... Um, Audrey Meadows passed away last night. Wow. And I freaked. And the, the, I was just, it was incredible. And I, I, the taxi driver over the hotel, I get into the hotel lobby, and a street person who was in the hotel lobby walked right up to me and said, a shame about that honeymooner, isn't it? Wow. And then, it's so weird, I had a 10 o'clock meeting at one of the publishers. I'm running down in the freezing cold weather and snow down 6th Avenue. And for some reason, I stopped and looked into the window, and there was a little statue of Jackie Gleason. Oh. They used to have statues of celebrities. Isn't that wild? That's wild. And so I went to all the different publishers, probably three or four publishers. And, and what happened was they all said, no one wants to read a book about dead people. That's so morbid. No. I said, none of them liked except one. Danielle Perez, who was the editor at Dutton Books, said, I think that's interesting. I said, oh, you get it. I said, everybody knows about two common experiences we share as humans. One is birth. Yeah. We know a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. And the other is death. And we all want to know what happens when you die. Right. And she got it. And she bought the book. It was coming out in a certain time, November, I think it was. Now I had to sell the book. I had to get it out there, right? So I looked at where it was hard to get me on TV shows because people went to dead people. Yeah. So I had a card that I kept of Wendy Walker. Now, Wendy Walker contacted me. She was a producer for Larry King Live. Mm-hmm. She was a senior producer. And I, I had her card because she saw me on the other side. Right. And I remember when I was on the other side, she actually called me. That's how we made contact. And she said, do you, um, do you want to do Larry King's show? And I said, I'd love to. And she said, you have a gimmick? I said, well, I talk to dead people. Isn't that a gimmick <laughs> enough? I mean, I, she said, well, maybe some celebrities. I said, I think talking to dead people is good That's... enough. No? She goes, no. So now I had the book. Two years later, I had this book. Yeah. I called up and said, Wendy, I have your gimmick. And she goes, huh? I said, I have a book, and I'd like to promote on Larry King Live. And she said, oh, you know, Larry's really not doing that sort of thing. As she's saying that, her grandfather comes into my mind. comes right next to me. Mm-hmm. And he said, tell her, um, um, I'm her mother's father, and uh, the mother's taking 10 pills. She needs to cut that down to five pills. And that the lens fell out of the glass, left side of the glasses the other day. And three or four, great piece of evidence. Yeah. And Wendy freaked out. <laughs> and she said, I, I, I'll call you back. She called me back about 15 minutes later, freaking. And she said, everything you said, that my grandfather, oh my God, that, that happened to my mother, yes. And the thing with the lens, yes. And all these details. Yeah. She, and she said, what are you doing tonight? And I said, Nothing. She goes, do you want to be on Larry King? I said, I'd love to. And that was, I think, December 7th of 97, I think it was, I'm correct. So it was a Friday night. Now, let's think about that. Most TV shows, especially Larry King Live in those days, had bookings ahead sure. of time, at least a month ahead. Yeah. They knew their, who their guests were. So here I was, the very first medium of all on TV, national, uh, international television, yeah. on a Friday night. We started the show at 6 o'clock. This is a promote Talking to Heaven. And I did readings on the show, which was great. So you did live readings? Live readings. Okay. Were they in studio or just over the phone? They were um, on, on the phone. Okay, they called, gotcha. they called yeah, from all over the world. Yep. From all over the world, yeah, they yeah, called. Yeah. And I mean, I was getting clairvoyantly and clairsentiently. And the book went from 6,000 to 600,000 in two weeks. Wow. And the calls that came in at CNN when Larry King on Friday night, the CNN bureaus around the world did not stop taking phone calls till Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. Wow. <laughs> so the book went to number one. That make more copies, of course, 600,000. And it went to number one. It was the really first mediumship book at that on that level. 
And it was pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, and I think that what's interesting to point out is, you know, today we have a lot of mediums on TV. You were the I first. opened the door. <laughs> you opened the door I to opened all the of that. Door. That's amazing. I, and then I was called up by a producer, Bonnie Hammer. Uh, I remember I was called up and she said, we have a show on the Sci-Fi Network. Do you want to do that? And I would like to have you there out of New York. And I said, you know, I don't, I thought about it. And th- with myself, you know, I dealt with all the skeptics. I was the one that took the bullets for all the mediums. Yes. Because I was on the front line and all the skeptics were coming after me saying, well, you do a cold reading, you're doing that. I didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah. And they didn't know who I was. Like, who right. are these people? So I said, no, nah, I don't do with that. So I had a friend named John Edward. And um, when I was doing the TV show The Other Side, uh, this lady named Shelly Peck who lived in New York called me up. She got through to me and she called me up. And she said, would you mind doing a, a demonstration in New York for the New York Psychic Society with um, a man by the name of John Edward. He works at the hospital during the day and at night does readings. I said, no, it's fine. So we did two demonstrations, 500 people one night, 500 the next night. Uh-huh. And it was the three of us. And so I, I thought, I, I like John. I thought, yeah, I don't want to call John. So I called up John and said, would you like to show? They, they, I didn't know it was, and it was partly also as a science fiction network. Yeah. I did not want to be associated with fiction. Right. Because I really, I, I have integrity. And yeah. I just thought that would be going down a bad path, especially yeah. after dealing with a little skeptics, right? So John took the show, thank God, and it became a big hit. So John really was right there, right after me. He came out, and that showed it extremely well all over the world, yeah. still around. And John and I, uh, good friends. And and well, that started everything. And then we had Sylvia Brown come out, who was really more of a psychic, yeah, not a medium, by the way. And then then that started the whole the movement really started then, I guess. And then I had my TV show called Beyond, and um, again that led to some mini series, uh, the mini series Talking to Heaven, based on my first book, which is um, I gave you a copy. Are you still going to watch yep. it? Ted Danson played you in that, right? Ted Danson did play me in that. And so another weird spiritual. Coincidence, coincidental story. Sure. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous, of course. So what happened was, this is really weird. Isn't this weird, folks? So um, when the book, when the book Talking to Heaven was going to be screen, I guess it was NBC bought the book. They bought the rights. And they wanted to make it into a movie. So on the plane, the screenwriter was sitting there writing a script. And sitting next to him, the seat next to him was Mary Steenburgen. And Mary makes it a point not to talk to anybody on the plane. But for some reason, and she told me later, it was her father from the spirit world told her to look and talk to this guy. She said, well, what are you doing? And he said, I'm writing a screenplay based on this book, Talking to Heaven. And she said, oh, that's my favorite book. I've given it to everybody. I love that book. Is there any way I can meet James or Prague? Wow. So we met, and I did a seance at her house. Uh-huh. And there was Mary and Ted and several of their friends. Yeah. Some of probably celebrities. I don't know. And Ted didn't believe in any of this. Did none of it. So I was like, okay, it's fine. Capricorn man, fine. Skeptical. <laughs> so his father came through. I, everybody got a message. And his father came through with a message. And he said, Ted, I'm here. And you know I'm here. And I died. He said, you know I'm in heaven because I'm wearing my herringbone jacket and I'm having a whiskey sitting in front of the fireplace. And Ted freaked. Ted felt he was sitting on an ottoman and he went onto the floor. Oh. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh God, Ted Danson, what did I just do to Ted Danson? And, and he, later he said to me, James, my father used to come home from work every day put on his herringbone jacket, have a whiskey and sit in front of the fireplace. James, that's how he died. Wow. So, wait, you hear this. The next day, the next day, I got a call from the production company who was involved in this in this movie, Told mm-hmm. in Heaven. And they said, listen, CBS just called us up. They can't find anybody to play you, play a medium. No one wants to play a medium. Gary Sinise turned it down. Tom Selleck turned it down. People turned it down. Yeah. The only person um, that they, CBS said they can go to is... Ted Danson because he's in Becker. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm like Ted Danson. <laughs> Ted, 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 Ted. Well, I was freaked. 
Ted, Ted Danson. I was just with him last <laughs> night. What? I was just with him last night. And the production company said, well, can you ask him to do the role? And I said, no, I will not ask him to do the role because that's crossing the line. I won't do that. So later on, I met with Ted and his uh, people, you know, his uh, manager and the producers, and we talked about the experience. And I said, Ted, in some way, I think this is going to help a lot of people, just like the book helped a lot of people. I think yeah. the miniseries will, and it has. So we did it, and they made it not a movie, they made a miniseries. Okay. And it starred um, Mary Steenford, Ted Danson, Queen Latifah, oh. uh, Jack Palance. Wow. Um, and uh, it was just an amazing movie. My mother played by Diane Ladd. Oh. So, and it was filmed in Vancouver. This is another weird stuff. So, we had, we filmed in Vancouver, and I went there to the shoot for to visit. And I remember going on the set, and there were all these trucks, you know, and the name of the truck company was called Driscoll. And that's so weird. That's my mother's mother's maiden, maiden name, name, right? So weird. So, then I went into saw the set, and there was a set of a seven-year-old James, or Jamie, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's just so weird. The wallpaper is the exact same wallpaper I had in my own bedroom when I was seven years old. That's wow. really weird. That's that's happening. And it was just an amazing experience. And so that movie did extremely well with a miniseries for CBS. It was the number one miniseries CBS produced aside from Jesus. Jesus had one called Jesus, <laughs> and that was the second one. And then uh, That's not too bad. Not too bad. Second and, to Jesus. In that company, right? That's pretty good. And then uh, the head of the CBS, uh, Nina Tassler, who's had a programming over there, she said, that did so well, can we do another one? Could do another type of movie based on a reading? I said, yes. I have uh, many, many readings. I could do something. So we did a movie um, called The Dead Will Tell with Anne Heche and a young woman who came up to me during the break, and uh, we were filming at New Orleans. And this lovely brunette lady came up to me at the break, and she said, Mr. Van Prague, may I ask you a question? I was like, yes. She goes, I just um, finished a pilot, and wondering if it's going to do anything. And I tuned in on a sidekick level, and I said, you're going to be known around the world. It's going to do really well. It's going to change your life. And Eva Longoria is now known around the world. Ah. And wow. years later, I was doing Ghost Whisperer, which a lot of people know. I, I really, I really created that show, and then get, didn't get credit for it. But uh, anyway, I was. We were filming on a stage right next door to Desperate Housewives. So one day at lunch, I was in the cafeteria, and I'm sitting at a table, and there's Evil and Gloria coming down the aisle. Our eyes caught each other, and we both screamed <laughs> in the cafeteria and ran up to each other, and I said, "Well." Was I right? <laughs> and we did the happy dance. Oh, and uh, yeah, so that was that. Amazing. Yeah, then I went to Ghost Whisperer, and the rest is history. It was like 14 books later. Michael, are you okay? You look like you're shaking. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm in awe. I mean, when you Wild. get to see how much Spirit's hand was in every aspect of the journey for you. They engineered the entire thing. It's so beautiful how they lead us to our destiny, whatever that is. If we have faith. That's it. And I guess everyone has to have that sense of there's something there. I have to follow yeah. this inner journey. I have to believe in my go with my gut. Yeah. And that's really what I did. I went with my gut to the higher calling. And again, down those dead-end roads, yeah. forgive the pun, limitations, fear. But I never let fear take hold of me. I knew there was a higher purpose. I didn't know what it was. I thought I was going to be acting or writing. Right. I didn't know it would be this, for God's sake. Yeah. I mean, I want to be a sitcom writer. I didn't want to change the consciousness of the planet, but I but did. That's what happened. So, or they so, did through me. Yeah. So then what now? So yeah. We'll take a break. Let's take a break so you can relax and breathe, Michael. Thank yeah. you. Michael, you would not believe what Michael's <sighs> looking like right now. He's like transformed. Breathe, take a drink of water, and we'll come back, yeah. and we'll finish I up. need a break. Okay. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, I got some water. Thank you. I had a yes, breath. you look much better. Had, Thank I had you. Had Get some color back into my face. We have to call the 911 real time. That's right. So, I mean, James, that's an incredible journey. And I know I'm probably speaking for everyone else who's listening. The way that that was just all orchestrated is just mind-blowing. So Maneuvered, engineered. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, And all we have to do is show up. And that's really what I did. I showed up. That is what you did. And had faith. And so then, how are you? What's happening now? So now I just turned 60, which is, you know, up there. And it's, it's funny. When you turn 60, I look back at my life and thought, hmm. It's okay if I step out of the body tomorrow. I've, achi- I've achieved, I think, what I, my soul came back for. You definitely left a, leaving a legacy. Yeah. So, so now you look at the, you know, the thing is, which I, I, I started a school four years ago. Mm-hmm. And my legacy is a school, the JVP School of Mystical yeah. Arts, where I teach people about uh, mediumship and, and psychic phenomena and self uh, transformation, um, meditation, and so forth. Really great, great online school that, that really is, I think, the best out there because I've looked up and I've seen what's out there and it's not to that level. And I say that because the work I do is a medium. And you know this because you've known me now for a year and that's yep. why we're friends because we're on the same level of integrity. Unfortunately, nowadays, I don't think there's a lot of integrity with mediumship that's out there. And my job now, I guess, is it's through teaching and podcasts and, and radio shows and television shows, is to help people to re- go to the next level of yeah. a- awareness and responsibility and integrity and knowledge. It's not just a, a circus. It's not just a game. Right. It's something that is soul work. It has to be soulful. Keeping that standard high. I have to keep the standard high in America. I hate to say it, but America is one of the lowest that I've seen. Uh, in the world, as far as mediumship, it's yeah. like it's it's more psychic work than mediumship. Yeah, true if mediumship. That. <laughs> if that, yes, yeah, it's, it's hard to find. And I'm the first one to stand up and say, you know, I worked my rear end off for many, many years, sacrificing a lot of things that this work can get out for the world and it can change people's. Because you're playing, you're, you're, you have people's hearts, you have people's lives, mm-hmm. and you can either hurt them, destroy them, or build them up. That's right. And we are here to build each other up and share this. I remember in those days, people used to come into my my uh, office, my house, my apartment with the cloud of despair and depression and sadness. And they would leave on cloud nine, that their life had returned. And I'll never forget a gentleman who once said to me, James, spending an hour with you was like spending like eight years in therapy. Yeah. Because with mediumship, you get right to the point of the, the heart of the matter, as That's I tell right. my students. Yeah. You go to the heart of the matter, is where the soul resides. So I'm doing this work now through this podcast, and again, radio show in the school. Beautiful. I'm going to write another book. And I'm working on a musical, a spiritual musical. So, so many other avenues yeah. for you to teach and help and, That's right. and learn. Different ways, reaching different people and a whole, like, for instance, the theatrical community is very different than the book community, than the new age, if you want to call it. So different. So, yeah, I, I teach in that form. In some ways, do you feel like it's easier now that that door's been swung open? It's acceptance for sure. Yeah. Um, more people are much more aware now, more open to it. At the same time, it's a double-edged sword. Because as more people aware, which is great, because we are building, we're, our consciousness has shifted. We're much more people, much more aware. In my day, you said, I'm having an herbal tea. They thought you were a weirdo, right? <laughs> 
And now what? Yoga and we have hot, you know. Now it's, it's changed that much. Yeah. And that's, it's changed that much. That that was weird in those days. Well, it sounds like you really did what that prediction was. Yes. I think I'm following my soul's journey to exactly what was set up for me. And I'm happy about that. I'm happy. I'm very, um, yeah, I feel complete with that. You know, I, I think, Michael, and I think a, a successful life, a good life for anyone, is if you can leave this world a better place than Asia found it, then your life has been successful. So, James, thank you so much for... I got to hear the story firsthand. I know. It's a while. I mean, and you I, don't know my story. Now you know my story. That's right. Now I know it, and I got to hear it and experience it and live it from you directly. So, live that it. was awesome. So, thank you. And I know I'm thank thanking you. you on behalf of everyone who's listening, I know. It's my show, and you're too. thanking me. I know. It's amazing. Thank, thank you for being here and, and, and helping me and assisting me and be my friend. And, of course. And I hope that this helps a lot of people out there listening. Um, just follow your heart's desire. Follow your that gut instinct and... Your soul's voice, the intuition. I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast today, this week's episode of Psychic Insights for the Modern World. And I hope the tools that I've shared with you and the insights I've shared will help you, even slowly or at your own pace, to go within and apply this knowledge, this awareness, this wisdom in your everyday life. So for more Psychic Insights, I'd love for you to follow me on social media at James Van Prague for your periodic reminders on how to keep you in the right headspace. If you'd like to dive deeper now into these topics and explore even beyond this podcast, please visit my school at the jpschoolofmysticalarts.com and books and merchandise to keep you connected, not just here at the show, but to yourself going within and continue your studies. Psychic Insights for the Modern World is a production of Straw Hut Media. Our producers are Ryan Tillotson and William Sterling. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks, everyone.